Dear Shooter, we may be on the eve of a Mad Max lifestyle, but at least for now, there are rules. A lot of the problems we see could be solved by the etiquette we learned in kindergarten. It's not about protecting the stupid, it's just, it is what it is. I don't know if you know this, but I'm a self-identifying llama. <laughs> and it, it's, it's because I oh. have a quick temper and I like to spit. You so. are not safe, and you are not sacred, and you're both liars. We're talking about firearms, y'all. I keep it clean. <laughs> I can hide one under there. One what? I don't want to know. I look like I got ran over by a paint truck on the way to Sherman Williams, and then backed over by the short bus. You know, let's talk about the modern trends and transsexual transitions. <laughs> Welcome to the Deer Shooter Podcast. Deer Shooter is brought to you by WyoTech, empowerment through self-reliance, and by Lucid Optics, on target, under budget. Happy Thursday, and... It- this topic kind of came up, actually, of, of all places, the Super Bowl. Um, we we watched Travis Kelsey go head-to-head with his head coach and scream and rant, and and it was just the, the absolute lack of professionalism that we saw. And I get it. It was an emotional game, but he reached out and grabbed onto the guy and gnawed on his ass in front of God and everybody. Right. That's just not done. I was wondering who was in charge at that very moment. Um, they were both wondering who was in charge at that very moment. <laughs> now, I, d- I did hear that he was fined something like $10 million in like a three-game suspension. I mean, that's that's pretty serious. That's substantial. Um, but honestly, I think somewhat deserved. You're a professional making millions and millions of dollars to do this. Act you're, like it. And you're the coach th- is in charge, right? I'm just asking. Yes, and then you're, you're also on the sidelines of the big show. Everybody's watching. Well, and especially him. Everybody. Oh, yeah. I mean, what was the the viewership of the Super Bowl? Anybody have that number at all? I have no idea. Millions upon millions of people watched this thing. And the second the Super Bowl was over, my feed filled up with, I can't believe he did that, and what a poor example. And I mean, post after post after post. Right. You, You just can't act that way. I'm sorry. You can't. I get it was emotional, and you thought that you might lose in front of your girlfriend who was in the box. Um, <laughs> might be real bad, but at the end of the day, she might write songs about you, and you don't like them. Well, that's kind of her M.O. You know, most of, most of her songs about picking the wrong guy. <laughs> it's true. But it, it, but it's not just there. We We see it all the time in the shooting sports. Especially with, you know, public ranges are, are horrible with this. Um, matches are fairly good as far as decorum goes, but I, I've seen some things at matches where it's like, mm, that's questionable. Uh, at matches, at least you have an RO and a match director with little red and blue lights on his side by side. And he'll come get you if you screw up. He, he will. We've seen that. But at but public ranges, you ha- you're exactly right. There is... Safety problem number one, people advancing in front of the line before a ceasefire has been called. Uh, that there's all kinds of complacent etiquette faux pas, if you will, 
Um, and I see the younger guys that have the big egos because they read something on Facebook says this is how you should do it, and they get called out for doing it wrong by a thud. Right. The next thing you know, they're butt hurt and they leave the range, never to come back to that range because, well, they're going to get called out for doing stupid stuff. Stupid stuff, but I mean, I, I've had the discussions where I'm on the range doing what I do, um, and and I've had range officers go, well, you can't do that. Well, I always have. A, I always ask the question. Okay, um, why not? Everything I'm doing here is safe. This is what we do in our training. I'm 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 practicing what I preach here, right? And it's well, you can't draw from from a holster. Really? Now, is that a printed range rule? I've seen some indoor ranges where it is, but I was on an outdoor range, and there was nothing like that. Typically, when you're on a range. You're the only crew on the range, though. Typically. And was that the case? No. Okay, so this you was, were sharing I, the range. I, I was on the range. Well, I was by myself. There was nobody else on the range. But the RO still felt the need to come out and tell me that I can't present from the holster. Interesting. So if he can present that to you in the rules on the big old metal sign that's out there by the benches. Right. Um, yeah. You say you're sorry, and you go about your day. Yeah. And you don't do it again. Right. Um, I know too many guys are going to get butthurt about that, and then they're going to leave and quit. Right. Um, it, it's not anything personal. It's a correction. What he perceived as a safety value. Right. But um, the thing that's always bothered me, and, and this is, I mean, I hate to say it, but this is kind of the FUD generation, and, and a lot of them are still running ranges. Um, they're not keeping up with current trends in training and what's going on. Um, the rules that they typically have up are, of course, the four golden rules, which we've already proven. Um, a lot of those lack integrity. They're self-policing rules. Um, if you don't pay attention to those, you get ejected off the range. Right. Um, but presenting from the holster, if you're the only one around, um, unless you're doing it incredibly unsafe... I don't see it as a problem. I, I don't either. Um, and alone, on a range, I mean, literally no one else was out there. I mean, were you running a Sherpa? No. I mean, I've presented from the holster many times. There's other people on the range. I don't see a problem with it. As long as you're safe doing it. Um, I, I would caveat that with if, you, if you're running a Sherpa, um, the likelihood of you shooting yourself is high. Well, that becomes a self-correcting problem. It does. It does. And the <laughs> RO should call you out on that. Agreed. Uh, but it uh, doesn't sound like that was the case. No. And it, and, and, and I would have, it, it probably would have been a different discussion had I been drawing from concealment. I was not. See, and I've done that. Drawn from concealment when I'm the only guy on the range. Mm -hmm. um, it, and I've never seen that on a range rule posted. So there was an RO rule that was a secret until... You right. violated it. Right. And I've seen, I, I mean, over the years, I've seen some pretty dumb things on a range. I, the one that, that, that brings back to me is I watched an RO, and, and I don't know what the violation was, but I know he went and had a conversation with somebody, and then walked down to the other end of the range, and I watched him ND his rifle into the ground right at his feet. So he had a conversation, and then he went and screwed up. Yes. Who kicks the RO off the I range? I don't know. 
but I decided that it was time for me to leave because it, and it wasn't a, I was offended. It was, I don't feel safe. No, fair enough. That is a valid reason to seek training elsewhere. Mm-hmm. If you don't feel safe at the environment you're in, um, don't do it there. Right. <laughs> but I'm sorry, it, if you're allergic to waffles, don't eat at the Waffle House. Right. But it, but it all boils down to professionalism, a lot of the way these guys handle things. Um, I've seen some pretty heavy-handed ROs. Yes. Um, that bothers me. Vest-wearing Nazis is a lot of the terms I hear a lot. And it's one of the reasons most folks, if they have access to public land and they can go plink on their own, they don't go to a formal range. Right. They don't want the oversight. Right. Um, the oversight shouldn't be intrusive to the activity. No. However... You have to mind your P's and Q's when you're on a formal facility. Well, we talk about that. One of the things that we, we do in our training is we talk about uh, what we call the uh, chart of doom. Chart of doom. We, yeah, we call it the chart of doom. What it is is it's, it's, it's two inversely related properties. One is control. One is danger. Okay? The farther away you get from zero, the less control and the more danger. But we talk about this in two different terms. So there's there's training, right? The, the training competition environment where the danger stays relatively low, right? Think about this, you know, this is a chart like you like you see the stock market chart. Um, so on your, your horizontal plane is your control and your vertical plane is your danger. If you're out, like you're talking about, out in the middle of nowhere, nobody's around, you can pretty much do whatever you want. And, and you're, you're relatively little danger, and you have a maximum of control, right? Okay. Okay? Now you go to a formal range. You're still not really in any more danger. There's, there's a little bit higher level of danger because there's other people around. But because now you're, you're agreeing to follow those range rules, you're giving up some control. But there are also controls in place. There are. And so I, I think the control comes up at a formal range. No. You, but, well, yes yes and no. It does because it's a controlled environment, but you are giving up some control. Agreed. Okay. You're okay. I, I, can can go out, I can go out in the middle of the I do whatever I want. I can't sure. necessarily do whatever I want on a formal range well, because it becomes I, a risk to someone else. Right. And as a range developer, I would offer that there are ranges that are designed to handle very specific activities. Agreed. There are ranges that people try and make those activities stretch to their limits of the actual facility. <laughs> I've seen y'all do that. What? Stretch S- to the limits? Yes. You've watched me stretch the limits? Of course. Uh, you're going to have to give me an example. Actually, I've seen Jason do it more often. He wants to teach a specific class, so now you're above the firing line, all that. Now you advance the, the shooters to the targets. Right. And the target's up against a backstop. Right. So you're fairly controlled at that point. Well, and that's, a, that's another, that's, that's kind of the next step on, the, on that chart of doom, right? Unless so, someone else shows up to shoot. Well, if I'm, if I'm teaching yeah. a class, and that's where I'm going with this, if I'm teaching a class, okay, there again, I'm giving up a little bit more control because I'm doing what the instructor tells me to do, okay? Um competition the same way you have rules there's etiquette to follow going back to our our etiquette thing you're giving up that control because you've got to follow the rules and the etiquette of the competition i would agree with that um there are more rules uh 
at a competition than there are on a formal range. Um, each stage has its own set of nuances, and each discipline, PRS, NRL, cowboy action, doesn't matter. They all have their own little set of nuances that you have to observe just to participate. Right. I mean, cowboy action. You could not approach the line with a hammer down unless it's on a empty cylinder. Right. Um, you can't move on a closed bolt from PRS or NRL. Mm-mm. It's a safety thing. It is, but you're also talking about matches where you might have three or four hundred people packing guns around. That's You've why got each to stage be safe. Has an RO to watch right. that stuff. And I've been on uh, an NRL stage where a guy tried to move on a closed bolt and he got booted off. He was done. Mm-hmm. He was DQ'd. I think we were at ELR last year. I think somebody ND'd, um, and that's that's why the the match directors took off and with their red and blues flashing on their side-by-side to go stop this and, and take them off the range. Somebody went home. Yeah. Now, the ROs don't necessarily always make it safe either. I remember one specific competition you and I were at where you were aiming at one plate, but you were to dial to hit a plate that you can't see. That was Broadwater. They do some games that I don't necessarily agree with, and that's a ex- great example of that. Um, you guys were at a competition a couple of years back where um, – they made you use the wrong side of your head to look through the optic. Mm-hmm. And you got a guy in your squad that <laughs> he had a glass eye. Yeah, he wasn't in my squad. He was the squad behind me. But I watched this whole thing go down. Um, he, he he didn't shift over to his, his support side. And the RO is, like, getting mad at him. And he goes, you don't understand. I can't. And the RO is going, you have to. And he goes, no, you don't understand. And he smacks the back of his head and pops his glass eye out. And he goes, you don't understand. And the RO, uh, you just watched him turn red and go, oh, I'm sorry. So I don't necessarily fault the RO in that circumstance. No, but. Because the competitor should have pulled the RO aside before he set up at the stage and said, I'm going to have a challenge with this, and here's why. Yeah. Most of the time, they're going to be pretty good and just let you shoot the stage. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, and he did, but I, I, I looked at it, and I laughed at the time, but looking back on it, that competitor should have, like you said, walked up to the RO before he even laid down behind the gun and went, all right, here's the deal, dude. And in a worst-case scenario, when they ask, does the shooter understand the course of fire? Well, and this shouldn't be a surprise. Almost every match I've been to, you get the book, like two days before, the day before, whatever. You know that that's coming. Now that's so not why not say something right when you get to the stage? That's true. But, and that, but that's not always true. I, I used to think that, too, and then I started shooting NRL Hunter. You don't get a book. You don't get ranges. You don't get nothing. You don't even get to, it, like, any of a preview of the stage. Yes, but bef- what I'm saying is the stage we were on, or you were on for the glass eye, you had the book. Yeah, we had the, the book on The day before. That. He had every opportunity when he went to, say it was stage seven, he went to stage seven and go, hey, look, this is what's up. Right. A little communication goes a long way. Yes. Back to etiquette. Yes. You know, it, we, talk about, we talk about that all the time in, 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 in training. The first, one of the first things we talk about is instructor-to-shooter responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And all of it has, is, is a breakdown of communication. Agreed. And if you show up at a range or a competition and you feel uneasy, start asking questions. Right. Because you do not want to be that guy that does something wrong. Mm-hmm. It's intimidating for a lot of new shooters. And I think that's where we kind of get in trouble as a, 
as a shooting community is we don't necessarily explain it because we take a lot of things for granted. We and do. Etiquette is only good if everybody understands that that's how it should go. Right. And and I'm. Uh, all right, I'm going to call myself out here. Every one of the classes that I teach, I assume everybody walking into that class knows nothing. I try to, and, and, and this may sound like I'm talking down to my students, but I try to explain everything to, like I'm explaining it to a four-year-old, and I repeat everything. Because you get those, you get those students that you'll, you'll explain something, and you'll ask, okay, does anybody have any questions about this? And everybody just kind of shakes their head. No, not really. But somebody has a question, but they won't ask it. So you repeat things two, three, four, five times, depending on how critical it is, because you know somebody didn't get it the first time, but they don't want to ask. They don't want to be that guy. And I would offer that that's a component of etiquette that we're all talking about. If you're in an activity and you are bobbleheading the information and you're not asking questions that the things you don't know, you're making a set of danger for everybody else on the, on the range that day because the assumption is the mother of all fuck-ups. Yes, absolutely. We've seen that time and time and time again. Um, never assume. And never, like, stay away from absolutes. There's never, like, it's, it's never never, and it's never always. And it's never perfect. Right. I don't believe in absolutes in this realm because everybody can improve, and communication can always come up. It's better for everybody. If you ask that question rather than react to it. Right. And let's talk about reaction real quick. Um, recently in the news, we've seen a horrible example of reacting oh. to something that wasn't necessarily a threat or real. I don't know. I, I mean, acorns. They, we, it, it was an apple falling from the sky that gave us Newton's third law. Well, it explained gravity. I right. get it. But How recent was this? Like last week. Oh, there yeah. was a guy um, who hadn't made a traffic stop, right? And we get shared his body cam footage. And as he approaches his vehicle, something hits the roof of it. He mistakes that for shots fired and turns around and mag dumps into the car that he just had a conversation with. Now, we don't know the conversation or the nature of the discussion, but he was leaving, going back to his vehicle, and horribly reacted to something that really wasn't a threat. I mean, poorly reacted. This kind of makes me wonder if, you know, not that long ago, he did go through a situation where he was being fired at and maybe he didn't get enough counseling. He was awfully amped up. Um, when you mag dump like that, you're scared. You're absolutely terrified. That's why I said he might have went through... Fair enough. And, but the next day he resigned because he was embarrassed. Well, he, I mean, from the body cam, he mag-dumped. He barrel-rolled across the street two or three times, reloaded, and kept shooting. As far as I know, his partner, who, who had a rifle, took cover and was dumbfounded trying to figure out what this guy was shooting at. Well, his partner was trying to find a threat. Right. And there wasn't one. And then for the guy, and, and you can hear him screaming on the body cam that he was hit. Yikes! I, I did another acorn did fall he shoot from himself? the tree. I, I I don't know, but the the 
the situational awareness to me just was not there. But this boils down to training. This was a guy in uniform. It, yeah. Um, I'm sorry, my, my friends out there that, that wear the badge, um, you're under, put under a lot of stress every day. You feel isolated and you're on your own. Um, I get it. But the reaction to this um, stimulus of an acorn hitting the roof of a car, your immediate reaction to turn around and dump all your rounds in your pistol into the car in front of you, assuming that's where it came from, is a horrible decision-making metrics. Mm-hmm. And training's got to be better than that. Agreed. And, and I'm going to caveat this by saying something that I have said several times before. Um, I I try to give, especially our police departments, the benefit of the doubt as far as I can because they have an extremely difficult job. Many agencies, they have no backup from their higher-ups because of politics. The one thing that they probably have to do the least, which is draw their gun and fire, okay? The, the percentage of what their job entails, this is a minuscule percentage unless you are SRT serving high-risk warrants. But they, those guys get a little bit different training, right? So the, 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 act, the, the street officer, they're not going to draw their gun and shoot very often in, in the course of their job. And I would say probably once or twice in a 10- to 15-year career. If that. Right? But when they do that, it is the most important thing that they ever do in, in the service of, of their job. I couldn't agree okay? more. So how do you match the training to that? I mean, it, it is the most critical thing that they will ever do, and yet... They can't put the kind of resources that an officer needs for that just simply because of the nature of their job. We have technology in this day and age that can put you in situations, make you make those cognitive decisions of to threat or not threat, draw or not draw, shoot or not shoot. I mean, there's an escalation of events that has to happen before lethal is warranted, right? Um, we had a circumstance here recently in, in Sheridan, Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an officer. He served a, a – well, he wasn't really serving a warrant. He was serving a, a trespass warning right, to somebody. And in the course of that, he was shot. And, and, and just as an aside, you know, we're, we, our, our thoughts and prayers go out to Sergeant Nevada Cranky. Is that who it was? That's yeah. the name? That's the name. Sheridan Police Department. His family, as he did pass at the hospital. Oh, jeez. So the the department then rallied around him, right? They found this guy. Mm -hmm. He barricaded himself in a house, I understand. Yeah, 30-hour standoff. And they brought in other agencies to help talk this guy down. They did. They brought in Gillette and Natrona County SRT. Okay. So, I mean, they're trying to be diplomatic. All evidence shows that they're really trying. They did, and and... It's not like these guys finally decided, no, we're done. We're going to breach the house and go in and get this guy. The guy came out armed and tried to flee. Now, I don't know. I I have not been able to find it if he fired. But I do know that he was shot and killed fleeing the scene. Well, he's already proved that he is willing to shoot an officer. Right. So I think all of their reactions 
are warranted for being amped up. I, I, I don't fault them at all for the outcome. It, it's a sad state, though, because, I mean, now we can't figure out what the other side of it was, and the guy can't stand trial for it. I get it. Uh, but there was a lot of people there when they shot him. Right. Right. The other thing, too, if it, it, he was being served a trespass warning, which means he was loitering around somewhere he shouldn't be. The officer went to go have a conversation with him, and rather than have a conversation and simply leave, he chose to shoot. He was a... That, that to me, kind of speaks to mindset. Well, it, it, he's definitely spun up and tortured in a certain degree. Um, and the officer that made contact initially, um, he had to have noticed there were signs of this. And it went bad. And I feel bad for the family. But why was he alone? That's a good question. But I think that, that goes back to... Trespass warning in Sheridan, Wyoming. That's retirement. I mean, it's the wealthy, it's the retired. So they probably don't have a lot of action. So they might have gotten lax. Ah, now you're getting to it. Well... And I'm not putting fault on anybody other than the fact that it's Sheridan, Wyoming, and stuff like that doesn't happen. Right. So we got complacent. I'm not advocating that they get all geared up and roll in with an armored vehicle to serve a, a notice of trespass, but they might now. You got to be prepared for it, and I don't know all the details, but I will say this: he shouldn't have been alone. Agreed. But how much of that goes to budgets? Probably um, a lot. You know, police departments across the country are budget constraints. We, we still have this defund the police movement. You've got agencies that aren't willing to back their officers. There's a lot of stuff. I mean, I, police department attrition is getting really bad, like almost to a critical phase. Because officers that have been serving for 20, 30 years, they're like, no, I'm not doing this anymore. You don't have my back. I'm out. I don't blame them one little bit. I, I don't either. And the, and you're getting a lot of people that aren't going in. And the, the, the military's having the same problem. They've run they've run so short of their recruitment goals because nobody wants to go into a woke military. I agreed there. So training. How can they do this better? I mean, budgets, obviously, right? Situational training. Shoot, no shoot training. I mean, acorns are not exactly a threat. They might be. No, this I've, was a I've noise seen, on the roof of a I've car. I've seen open season. <laughs> the squirrels are deadly. Well, if he you know, shot a squirrel, everybody would say he was justified. Right. That squirrel threw that acorn at him. But <laughs> he didn't shoot a squirrel. He didn't shoot a squirrel. Well, all right. Let's, let, let's take a whiskey break here, and, and we'll come back to this. The 10th Mountain Whiskey and Spirit Company, based in Vail, Colorado, high up in the Rocky Mountains. 10th Mountain is a tribute company to the legendary 10th Mountain Division, maker of fine spirits including bourbon, rye, and vodka, as well as being a generous supporter of the shooting sports and veterans charities. Support those that support us, and to make it easier, 10th Mountain is offering our listeners a discount. Just enter Deer Shooter at checkout for 10% off. 10th Mountain Whiskey and Spirits Company. Whiskey worth fighting for. 
All right, so we're talking about training. And, and I think the biggest problem, especially with police agencies, is it's, the training has been so institutionalized. Um, the, the guys that are training are guys that have been on the force for 20 years, and they're teaching new officers the tactics that we used 20 years ago that are out of date, not keeping up with current threats, but it all comes down to budgets. I, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to budgets and the fact that the bean counters are controlling the training and there has to be an objective standard. That's part of the problem. I think an objective standard is exactly what we're talking about. I, I don't think that our police officers that are county municipal police officers need the same training as our soldiers do that we're dropping into a hot zone like Fallujah. They don't need the same level of training. I would argue they need more. And, and the reason I say that is because there is so much higher risk for collateral damage from a police officer to our military. But at some point, we've made the transition from a peace officer, that is to enforce the law, um, keep the peace. Right. And they're transitioning into they all want to be SWAT. They see every civilian as a target and or an adversary, mm -hmm. which is wrong, right? Um, and, yes, lately we've seen that protect and serve um, been demolished by the courts who define it as they have no responsibility to protect you. Exactly. Presence used to be enough. Right. It's not anymore. It's not. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of people and groups out there that, have no fear of of the police um but back to what you were saying you know we saw this happen and it, it was probably 15 years ago we saw the transition from peace officer to law enforcement officer and while it, on the surface it may not sound like a big deal the the mindset that goes along with that is huge well it creates an us and them type of situation from perception the civilian they see a cop and they don't trust anymore. Right. That's a problem. Well, and, and one of my big gripes, look at, look at our police vehicles versus police vehicles in Europe. In Europe, they're, they're bright and they're, they stand out. Like, here, find me. I'm here to help. Here, they're all subdued and hiding. Um, to me, it, that's, that goes into almost an entrapment mentality you gotta the officers out there um state troopers for example they are tasked with keeping the statutes and keeping the roads safe right dui um, is one of their biggest things that they have to do and you can't force somebody to drive drunk so you can meet a quota right they will tell you they don't have quotas but on an internal review at your annual if you didn't produce the numbers and write enough of those, they start questioning. Right. And they're running good cops out because of some of that. Mm -hmm. They are because uh, a lot of good cops, and they understand, especially highway patrol and especially here in Wyoming, because if you're highway patrol out in the middle of nowhere between Casper and Shoshone, there is nothing. And you're an hour from, from any kind of help. Which brings the communication to the forefront. It brings the, the situational awareness to the forefront. And that goes right back to training. Right. Um, our troopers go through another 13 weeks outside the academy 
before they get put in a car. Right. And they get put in a car with a guy that's going to take them around and show them how it works. For weeks, here they do an FTO service where they're not alone. Right. Once they get turned out and they're on their own, their own, they are in the middle of nowhere on a highway somewhere. They don't know what they're coming up against every time. No, and I think it, from from our perspective, we see that with our with our sheriffs, with our highway patrol, with our with our game wardens, even because we all know. Look, we're we're out in the middle of nowhere, and something could happen out here, and nobody's going to know. We all understand that, and I think especially from our perspective, there's a lot of courtesy that comes from us to law enforcement. I mean, we may gripe about their training. We may gripe about some of their policies. But at the end of the day, when we run into that officer out in the world, we try to remain courteous and professional because we get it from their perspective. Look, they're on their own. They're already probably a little nervous because they're on their own. We don't want to do anything to agitate. Correct. And back to etiquette, though. If you get pulled over, pull over, roll your window down, put your hands in plain sight on top of the wheel, mm-hmm. and wait for right. instructions. They're going to come talk to you. Right. You start fiddling around in your truck or you start digging for stuff. They can't see your hands. They don't know what you're looking for. You don't look at your hands on when they approach the window. Um, there's some tactics involved and there's some communication that needs to come way up. Um, you may have been just rattled that you got stopped and you may have just been looking for your registration whatever but wait until that officer asks you to do said things etiquette right that'll save a lot of the discussion yep and they're there to keep it safe right they pull you over for speeding right let's say you're going too fast and you start copping attitude and you start giving them crap about it well, they've got a job to do, and either you were or you weren't going too fast. It doesn't matter. You've had a conversation, right? Be polite. Right. Be nice. I had an incident a couple of years ago. I was, I was coming back home, and I got pulled over highway patrol, and he, I, exactly like you're saying, I, I rolled down my window, and I put my hands on the steering wheel. Um, he walked up to my window, you know, how's it going? You know why I pulled you over? And I just looked at him. I said, ah, it's probably coming out of there a little hot. And he goes, yeah. And he says, you know, I need your license, registration. Well, immediately I said, well, I am carrying concealed. My wallet's in my back pocket. My gun is carrying appendix. How do you want to handle this? And he says, just get your wallet. We're cool. Um, now, now he's aware. Yeah. Right? So be polite. Now, I, you know, because I, I, I want him to feel safe. I don't want him to feel threatened because I also had four rifles laid across the back seat. Um, valid. <laughs> totally valid. So, because, and Wyoming's kind of weird. Um, we are an if-asked state. You do not have to disclose that you were carrying a firearm unless you were asked. Now, I think in our state, most law enforcement assumes you're armed. In Wyoming, that's the case. Uh, all the officers I know, they make the assumption that everybody has. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I disclosed that because I wanted to defuse a situation before it even came up. I didn't want to lean forward in the seat and have my concealed carry exposed and make him nervous. Well, and if he reacted out of fear, that could go south real fast. Right. 
and I'm not going to die over a speeding ticket. Right. So uh, etiquette, right? Right. There's and, certain ways you handle that. And I, and I think that having that calm conversation ended up in me getting a warning instead of a ticket. Um, he, you know, he asked me, he said, well, why, why are you in such a hurry? And I said, well, I'm really not, but I just bought new tires and I don't exactly know if they're calibrated. Now, fortunately, I had bought a new set of tires about two weeks previous and he looked at them and went, yeah, okay, it's plausible. So I asked him, how fast was I going? Because I wanted to know, like, compared to my speedometer, how fast was I going? And sure. it turned out to be about three miles an hour. But, but back to communication. You have a plausible reason that you may have been speeding. Now, I've followed you um, or tried to at some point, <laughs> And you drive the space shuttle half the time. Well, I have a lead foot. You do. I have places to be. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean I drive crazy. No, but it, having a conversation is probably likely yeah. at the speeds in which you navigate the county. You know, oddly enough, I've had fewer conversations than you would think. That's weird. <laughs> That's totally weird. I, I find bear bait. I get somebody to pass me, and I let them get about a mile or so ahead of me, and then I try and match them. And hmm. they're doing 90, and I'm like, okay, here we go. Yeah, yeah. Who was it? We had an officer... There was a, a group came through in sports cars, mm. and they were running very, very fast because they had the cars to do it. And we have a wide open spaces where it's kind of fun to do if you have the vehicle to do it, and the road service is fine. Um, but he ended up pulling over eight cars in the one stop. <laughs> I got to hand it to him. That was kind of impressive. Now, I will say this about Wyoming. Yes, we have the wide open spaces, and I-80 is dead straight, but... Our road surfaces usually do not support that kind of vehicle at that speed. I agree. We Um, have pretty good roads, though. Neither does our wildlife, I'm just saying. Well, forget the wildlife. I'm talking about the potholes. Uh, We don't have, Wyoming doesn't have the road budget that a lot of states do. We try, but understand that Wyoming roads get hammered by the winter. Oh, the winter's horrible on the road surfaces. I, we all know what I-80 looked like after last winter when we had just snow upon snow upon snow. I drove it today. It's not a great road service. It, it, it's not, and they are constantly working on it, trying to keep it up. But if, if, if you get the bright idea that you're going to take a sports car and go through Wyoming because it's a straight way and you can go 110 miles an hour, think twice because yeah, this is not Arizona. Our roads well. are not that good. Decision-making will have to be your friend because do I dodge the pothole or the moose? Or the semi. That too. Yeah. No, no, no. All of that goes back to etiquette. If you're on the road with other people, be polite, be courteous. So I guess at the end of the day, this comes back to rule number one. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. It'll get you out of trouble more times than you can think. Hey, I, I've found, especially when when dealing with with law enforcement, law enforcement, just cop to it. Yeah, I was speeding. Yeah, I rolled through that stop sign. Yeah, I did something stupid. I'll even like you're, you're driving down the road and you pass a cop and you watch him in the rearview mirror as he spins around. Just pull over. Don't make him chase you. Yep. Yep. He wants to have a conversation with you. Fine. And if it's not you, he'll drive around you. Yep. It'll be fine. Mm-hmm. But. If you, if you show that, all right, let's talk, 
a lot of the times that diffuses a lot of it. Mm -hmm. And I don't think at the end of the day, especially here. Now, I, I can't speak to other municipalities, other state police. I can't speak to that. But I can tell you that here in Wyoming, um, these guys don't really want to write the ticket because that's a lot of paperwork. Well, it is, but also you're probably the most exciting thing they've had all day. That's true. That is true. Um, he's probably tired of looking at the antelope and driving the yep. same 100 miles of highway for the last eight hours. Right. And transition this conversation back to the range. You are probably the 100th person that guy's seen every day, right? And when you start acting inappropriately on the range, he's going to have a conversation with you. Agreed. But let's let's swing this around to the range. What do you do with that RO that's just got, like, little man syndrome? And you kill him with kindness and compliance. That's what you do. You can ask him some questions, but you are not going to change his mind or his ego. Um, that causes a fight. I'm not going to change his mind, but... You can always take a picture of him and put him up on your dartboard when you get home. I right. mean... You kill him with kindness and compliance because everything else is a rub, and you're going to make him flex even harder over stupid stuff. Now, you can, you can be right, or you can comply. Either way, you're shortening your time at the range. Because if you're right, he's going to boot you anyway. Right. Because, I mean, when you're talking to your wife, you can be happy or you can be right. <laughs> you don't get to be both. But how do we go about changing attitudes? Because there are, there are some that need changed. Training. They need to look at training and how things are done and reasons to have a conversation. There's ways to go about those corrections for safety violations that don't alienate the people at the range. So is it time that we, we update the range officer certification? I would say, yeah, it needs looked at. Um, it's pretty good um, if they actually follow the doctrine, though. Right. How many range officers here in Wyoming, let's say Shoshone firing range, actually had RO training? Probably very few. That's what I'm saying. Very few. Most folks in a, uh, a populated area are at a formal range where I would assume those range officers have some training. Um but that's an assumption. It's not given. And if they're not trained, they're acting on their perception thereof, what their job is. I'm with you. Just smile and nod. Do what they ask. And, and do what you do. Now, if it totally gets in the way of doing what you need to do from a training perspective on their range, take a break. Have a conversation with them. If that's not fruitful... All ROs answer to a range director. Right. Go have a conversation say, look, I might be wrong here, but this is what I'm trying to do. This guy is talking to me every 10 seconds about way I could do it better or way I'm doing it wrong. Um, I didn't ask for training from him. I need to be able to continue with my activity. That calm conversation is going to go a long ways. Mm -hmm. So... Be polite. Be professional. Remember what we learned in kindergarten? <laughs> yeah, it, it all plays because calmer heads will always prevail. I couldn't have said it better. So don't be a dick, and if you must, just blame your gun. <laughs>